So our scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians 4, and I'll read the first six verses, and then verses uh, 14 to 16, I believe it is. And just so you know, tech folks, I'm reading off the screen, so stay ahead of me. Thanks. Uh, Ruth Ann said she doesn't generally um, cry in public very easily. Um, I generally don't look nervous in public, but apparently I am nervous today because there's so many of you looking at me and so nervous that I forgot to bring my Bible up. That's why I'm reading off the screen. So when a pastor forgets his Bible, you know he's probably thinking about way too many things at the same time. Hear God's word from Ephesians 4. As a prisoner for the Lord then, Paul writes, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And then the end of the passage. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, and from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. So we have, so far this year, looked at beautiful, messy relationships where we recognize that our relationship with God transforms or reshapes every other relationship that we have, and then recognizing that it's the relationship with Jesus that reshapes other relationships, we thought maybe we should spend some time figuring out how do we grow in our relationship with Jesus so it can more and more transform our relationships with others, and so we are creating space for God. We're looking at spiritual disciplines, disciplines which are not just things you check off by saying, I did that discipline, I've now done silence, I've done fasting, I've done service, got those out of the way. No, it's how do we make those part of our daily routine such that God shows up and speaks to us through them. And today we look at hospitality and wholeness. And as Leah so wonderfully noted, hospitality is a discipline? I just thought it was having people over and having fun and enjoying that. Um, along with that, I recognize that I've actually already spoken on hospitality in the neighboring series. And so probably what we could call today is hospitality 2.0 because we want to look at the fact that hospitality as a discipline goes beyond having someone over, right? We're going to look beyond, probably because most of you probably know how to host people better than I do, so I'm thinking I can't teach you about how to make a nice dinner and have people over and make sure everything is clean and neat and all those things. You probably understand that part. We're going to look at what's the deeper part, what's the God connection part of hospitality as a discipline as we um, understand Ephesians chapter 4. So Paul starts with two difficult words, worthy and calling. 
I'd suggest prisoner is a pretty difficult word as well, but he's talking about himself as a prisoner, not calling us to be prisoners, so we'll just leave that one. So Paul as a prisoner, Paul is somebody who was so dedicated to Christ that he was willing to um, go where he knew he would be imprisoned. He says to them, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And this, this worthiness, I don't think the word's hard to understand. What's hard for us is to understand what, what makes us worthy. Um, plenty of us, even if you've grown up in the church and you've heard sermons on grace all your life, plenty of us still have this sneaking suspicion that God won't really quite love us unless we actually live up to the standard that he expects of us. And when you hear as a prisoner for the Lord, somebody who's willing to go that far, saying to you, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling, probably your automatic response is, oh, I'm probably not doing that. I probably got to work harder at this. Paul's probably not satisfied with me. Never mind Jesus and God. But let's first think about the calling, that other tough word. So in our tradition, we often think of people like me who are ordained pastors, we call pastors, right? Right now we're trying to call a discipleship pastor, Right? And if we were going to get a youth director, we would hire a youth director. But we're calling a pastor, and we sometimes separate those words. We should probably stop that. Because as Paul says, you have a calling. You have received a calling. He's writing to an entire church of people just like you, saying, you have a calling. And what I want you to notice about the calling, more than anything else, is that you've received it. This is God saying, I have called you. That's what we do. It's not really the baptismal font, but it looks like a baptismal font. So what we do at baptism is we say, this child is now sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own. This child, by virtue of being born into this community, already has a calling on their life where God says, I want you to know me, I want you to serve me, and I'm going to chase you in every way, shape, and form that I can so that you will follow me in that way. We all have this calling. And you receive it, and I love infant baptism for that very simple reason. You receive it before you even have a chance to say, do I want this? You receive it because God has put it upon you. Many people will tell you, if they tell you their testimony story, if they weren't born into the body of Christ, that God found a way to, to grab them. That God found a way to trip them up, if you will, to grab their attention to make them see him and wonder what he's saying to them, and they'll look back and they'll say, oh, God was chasing me all along. God had all these ways of reaching and grabbing my attention. He has called us. We have received that. And because we've received that as a gift, because God did that before we've earned it, we have to wonder then, well, what does this worthiness look like? Is worthy that you give enough, you show up here enough, you sing loud enough, you smile hard enough, all those kinds of things? Is being worthy that you actually do all these disciplines to the right degree, or is being worthy what Paul says in the next few verses? This is the worthiness of our calling. To be completely humble. Because if you do church well enough, you're going to end up proud. But Paul says the exact opposite. Be completely humble. Humble looks like this. I know I didn't earn this spot. I know I'm here because God called me. God chased me. God gave this to me. God's grace is sufficient for me. Humble is not that you're a doormat, by the way. 
The only way you can actually truly be humble in the biblical sense is to know exactly who you are, and more importantly, whose you are. If you know that you are in Christ, your identity in Christ, as we've talked about a number of times, if you know that it's because God in Jesus Christ has grabbed you, embraced you, and taken, inside of, taken yourself inside of him so fully, when you know that, you can be humble because you can go, I'm exactly who I'm meant to be because of Jesus, because of what he's done because of his embrace, because of his sacrifice, because of his love for me. And when we are understanding of our humility, we're able to talk about what's still broken, what's still on the way. We're not proving that we've done enough to earn it. We recognize that our calling is, God called me while I was yet a long way off, like the prodigal son. While we are still sinners, Romans 5, Christ called us to himself. And when we understand that reality, we can be a whole lot more honest about you know what, I need to humbly tell you that I'm still on the journey, that there's still things that trip me up all the time. My identity's in Christ, that's first. But with that identity secure, it's a whole lot easier to say, and this isn't what's working quite right yet. I can be humble. And when you know that what you've received is a gift, it's a whole lot easier to be gentle as well. Because gentleness comes out of the understanding that that person that does that thing that bothers me they're on the same journey as I am. If I'm humbly aware of how I'm struggling, I won't be surprised that somebody else is struggling, and I'll get a whole lot less angry with them, and that's where patience comes in. You need to be patient with yourself. You need to recognize that this is a long journey. I know when I was 20, I thought by the time I was 55, I'd surely have this stuff all together, and some of those things aren't done yet. There's growth, but I still need to be patient. And not only do I need to be patient with me, when I'm understanding that I need patience, it makes it a whole lot easier to think about the fact that so does that other person need patience. And then the kind of tying this all together line is bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. And bearing with means that you're carrying the load together. So that when somebody else is struggling with something, we don't say, yeah, well, that's their burden. That's their challenge. They're like that. When anybody in this community, anybody you meet along the way, anybody you can be hospitable to is struggling with some sort of a burden, that's your burden too. And you can wonder, how can I come alongside of them? Not take it for them, but bearing it with them. How can I listen with them? How can I walk with them? How can I offer them support? How can I bear with them and show, and show that I also love them? So our calling is this. It's that humility, that gentleness, that patience, and that love. So Paul continues, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And I ask the question, do we produce this unity and peace, or do we profit from this unity or peace? Because sometimes it seems in, in church that we are really aware that we're one body, that we need to be united, that we, we should be a community living in peace, but we try to produce that peace by not talking about the difficult things, by not having disagreements, by avoiding the kind of conversations that would actually give us the kind of loving bond of peace. So it's very important to understand that the biblical understanding of the unity that we have is, again, it's a gift. You have no choice in the matter about being united. You are the body of Christ, not because you've decided to be the body of Christ. You're the body of Christ because God said so. If you believe in Jesus, you're part of the body of Christ. We have this horrible problem in our world, and I'm sure you're aware of it. We have a lot of different Christian labels. How often do you talk about somebody in terms of being a follower of Christ 
as opposed to being this kind of Reformed or that kind of Reformed in this area, or Baptist versus Pentecostal versus Catholic versus Reformed Christian, right? Those labels mean absolutely nothing in the kingdom of God. And we know that, and we need to know that. We need to understand that in the depths of our heart, that we need to keep the unity that God gave us. We can't produce it. You can't have a committee that meets with other denominations and says, we're going to produce the unity by seeing how we can agree on everything. No, the unity's already there. These are brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's probably okay that we have different temperaments and styles. We have that within this body as well. But understand this, the unity is already there because God gave it to us. We just keep it. We just hang on to it. We just do whatever we can not to mess up the fact and not to speak against the fact that anybody who believes in Jesus Christ is part of that same unity. And to keep that, and this is why we're doing spiritual disciplines during Lent, we repeatedly focus on the source. Paul likes to be repetitive. He's trying to make a point. There's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's only one baptism. That's one of the things we love to fight about with other denominations, or at least we used to, right? Lots of water or little water. Infants, or when they have the ability to speak their faith. There's only one baptism, right? Even on the things that we disagree about with other people, and of course we think we're right, there is only one. So if someone is baptized, they're baptized in Christ. Someone is baptized, they're baptized in Christ. We need to recognize and hold on to and keep that sense of unity, even as we have conversations about how can you believe that when I believe this and how do we do that biblically? Great conversations, but there's only one baptism because there's only one faith. There's only one God and Father of all who is through all and in all and over all and is all. Keep looking at that source. If God can stay united, if he just gives us one, we are again called to live into that as much as we can. So then I skipped a whole bunch of verses right in the middle of that. It was probably really obvious when I was reading too because it doesn't flow. And I didn't do that this time anyways because it's too hard of a passage or I didn't want to talk about that stuff. I, didn't, I skipped that passage quite simply because it's one of my favorite passages and then we'd be here for two hours because I have lots of material on that part. It's about the core of how the church works, right? So it's summarized right here in verse 12 for you. He has just finished saying... Christ gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, the five-fold prophetic role of the church or leadership role of the church, right? Christ gave those, and why did he give them? This is the essence of it. To equip his people for works of service. And the word there is diaconia, which sounds a lot like deacons, because it's all about the ministry of service, the ministry of caring, the ministry of being in connection with each other, the ministry, if you will, of hospitality in its broadest sense. So the reason that God gave all this leadership to his church was to train the church, you, us, all, to do service for each other. And then to what end? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. So ask this question with me. What is Paul saying gives us unity in the faith? It's acts of service. Have you ever noticed this? If you hang around with Christians with different labels in front of their Christianity, that when you do ministry together, you seem to agree on just about everything, right? 
It's when we discuss theology and all the winds of doctrine we're going to see in a couple of minutes. That's where we get our differences. But when we start working together, when we understand that our job in this world, above all else, is to serve the people around us, to be hospitable to our world, somehow things seem to get a whole lot more united. And so if we focus on ministering to people, we're going to see a whole lot more of keeping the unity, which Paul talked about just a few verses earlier. Unity comes through service. So, this is how we stay steady in the storm. Because Paul continues, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. And Paul writes this, I think, he must have been in the boat with Jesus and the disciples on the storm and, and terrified with them. I don't think he was. He was shipwrecked himself. Maybe he got it from there. Then we will no longer be terrified for how we're going to keep this thing in line because we're working in service together. That's his basic point here. We'll stay steady in the storm if we unite around how do we do ministry together, how do we act together. Notice what he says next. People are the problem. And I hate to break to you, we are the people. And I know I don't need to point out to you that you're a person, but I hear this language sometimes, just this phrase, pay attention when you say this, it's good English, but it has a load to it. Do you ever talk about those people? Those people? You know what happens when you talk about those people, right? There's those people on my left, and there's those people on my right. I just created a division. There's those people who are different from me. And the implication, of course, with those people is there's also us people. All right? So when Paul says... Don't be tossed to and fro by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. He doesn't say those people. It seems like he's including all of us. And this is the hard part. This is where we got to go back to humility and patience and gentleness with ourselves and with others. Because recognize that any one of us, if we start an argument about a secondary thing, we're breaking that service-based unity that Paul is calling to us that we have in Jesus Christ, right? Cunning and craftiness of people. I don't know about you. I'm not particularly fond of being called cunning and crafty. Maybe crafty if I can do some crafts. We don't like those terms, but I think what we need to own is though our identity is in Christ, though we've been given the unity of the Spirit, often when we start talking and stating our point of view, and talking about those people being the ones who think differently than us and therefore are probably wrong, right? That's when the body gets disunited, separated. So I'm not saying you can never say those people because if I'm talking about people over there, I do need to be able to say those people. But be careful in a conversation when you're talking about a collection of people as those because you've just separated yourself from them. See if you can find a way to say, we people even if we people includes people who think a little bit differently than we do. We are united. God just gave that to us. We keep that bond by understanding that, yeah, there's messiness in all of us. And the best way to work through this is to figure out, how am I hospitable? How am I embracing, even with people who think differently on things with me, so that I can still serve with them, I can still work with them, I can still walk with them, I can still be... Um, church with them. And now I think we get to the punchline. I know you're waiting for that. 
Again, this is simple, but not easy. Paul says instead, speaking the truth in love. If you need a memory verse, if you need a life verse, grab this one. Speak the truth in love. Even if it's not your life verse, every follower of Jesus needs to have this line deeply embedded in their mind. Speak the truth in love. For all this hospitality stuff, all this unity stuff, all this bearing with one another, all the gentleness is captured right here in this line. This is the, this is the secret. Speak the truth, but do so in love. Which means... On the one hand, quite obviously, don't lie. Don't tell people things about themselves that aren't true. But when you do have to tell them something about themselves that's difficult, check first your heart. Do I actually love this person? Do I care about this person? Because, you know, sometimes we speak the truth in hate. We may not label it that way, but what we're doing is we're saying... This person's bugging me, and they're wrong, in my humble opinion, so I'm going to tell them. We might want to couch that in the language of, yeah, but I'm doing so because I love them, because I would love them to know the truth, which I have. But remember, when you start with humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with each other in love, one of the things you start with is the recognition that you probably have some of the truth, but you don't have it all. So I started out today by saying that I do still get nervous to stand up here because you know how terrifying it is to preach, which we assume is me saying, thus saith the Lord, and realizing you don't actually have all the truth, and you never will. As you speak to anybody else, have that same sense about yourself that you probably have some of the truth, you probably have something going on in you that the Spirit's prompting you to have this conversation, but when you speak truth into somebody's life, Make sure that what's going on in your heart is, I, I have a passion of love for this person and their well-being, and the humility about myself, about how much the truth I actually completely hold on to. So I've often used this as my measure of am I speaking the truth in love. When you're done the conversation, even if you completely disagree about the topic, even if you had to challenge them deeply, do they feel loved? Do they know that you love them? And you can test that quite easily, right? You can ask them, how are, we, how are we now? Are we okay walking away from this, right? And if they're able to say, yeah, yeah, thank you, right? This can be done, folks. We can have conversations as the body of Christ with each other about difficult topics, and there's plenty of them on the table right now. We can have conversations with each other and with our community about difficult topics without pushing people so far away so that the conversation is over. Speaking the truth in love requires that we come with humility, that we come with gentleness, that we come with all the things that Paul tells us is part of being a mature follower in him. Speak that truth in love. And then, this is the hopeful expectation, and then we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Paul doesn't have a low standard. Paul was willing to be in prison for this stuff so Paul's standard is quite simply, I want you all to be the most amazing, mature collection of people following Jesus, to be totally united with each other in the deepest form you possibly could. That's his expectation. That's his goal. That's what he holds out before us. And then being beyond a well-oiled machine. 
It's a well-oiled machine. might work really well, but it's still a machine, right? So if your vehicle is working exactly the way it should be, you are happy about that, but probably you're not, I hope anyways, you're not hugging your car or your truck, right? You're not embracing it. You're not having fine conversations with it. You might tell its computer to do certain things if you have that capability, but it's still just a well-oiled machine. The Bible never talks about us as a machine. It's not about how well administratively we run things. It's not about how well we do the stuff that we do. It's are we a body? Because from Christ, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament, and it grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul is talking here about us being a body, and think of the most in-tune, capable, powerful, um, healthy, lithe, fast, athletic, whatever you want to say is a good body. Think of that, and that's what he's talking about. So I was having a hard time, as you could just tell, finding how do you say well-oiled machine except talk about a body? If you have a word for that, let me know. I went to my uh, crack team of research assistants. You didn't know I had a crack team of research assistants, did you? You can be on it, too. Just answer questions when I ask you. So the word for a body that works exactly the way it should is homeostasis. Helpful, right? I'll give you the definition. A tendency toward a relatively stable equilibrium between interdependent elements, especially as maintained by physiological processes. Now we know why I couldn't come up with that. Y'all got that? If a pastor has to read something from a paper, it means he can't remember it. That means you don't have to remember it either, okay? (laughs) Whatever that looks like for you, Paul's image for us is that we are a group of people, a body that works so well together that when people look at it, it's like they're looking at their favorite athlete who they say, man, that person just moves so smoothly. That is amazing what they can do. That is unbelievable. We need to be a community that when people look at us, they go, yeah, that's good. That's true. That's beautiful. I want to watch that. And if all goes well, I want to be a part of that. What do we have there? That's Paul's standard for us. And they get there, speak the truth in love. A couple more slides. Nope, one more slide. How does this work? Let's make this practical. One's pretty easy. Invite people. That is the beginning of hospitality. Invite people in, into your space, into your house, into your group, into whatever you're doing. Right? You need some discernment. Don't invite everybody all the time. That's just going to exhaust you. You have a limit. You're human. Right? But no when it's your job to invite somebody in and welcome them and do all those wonderful things that you do when you host somebody. And then number two, because this is Hospitality 2.0, dare to go deep. Dare to have the conversations that need to take place. Dare to ask penetrating questions of people. Right? And you'll get a sense of what penetrating questions are for different groups of people. If it's a really close friend, it's pretty much almost anything. If some of you are just meeting, take it easy at first, because speaking the truth in love is knowing this person's actually ready for me to ask this question. This person's ready to have that conversation. You'll need to discern what does it mean to go deep. But you all recognize, right, that's the one thing none of us actually wants to do. That's why it's the challenge in the sermon. We would all like to say, yeah, why don't we just skip that topic because we're not going to be really good at that. Don't think that's an option in a church that's been commanded by the Word of God to speak the truth in love. It means you've got to love them enough to speak it, 
and you got to speak it in such a way that they feel loved. And then three, this is the grace piece. Figure it out when it goes sideways. Because why do we not want to have those difficult conversations? Because it might go sideways. And we all know that because it's gone sideways before. How many of you, when you're going to have a difficult conversation with somebody, you run it around in your mind, and, and it works out great, right? Because you get to be both parts. And then that other person comes, and they don't play the role the way they're supposed to. Here's what you got to do. Write out the thing in your mind, both sides, give them their sheet so they know what to say. <laughs> or just accept that it might go sideways. And in the body of Christ, that's actually okay. That's actually okay. Because you're coming in humility and with gentleness and patience. You're bearing with one another in love and you're speaking the truth in love. And that's hard and we know it. But we do it anyways because we know, I hope you know this, we know that if we dare to go there, if we dare to work through the difficult conversations, when you get to the other side and you say, yeah, we may still disagree in this stuff, but thank you for bringing that, thank you for caring enough to put this in to the conversation. Thank you for loving me. It makes all that challenge in between worthwhile. Amen. Lord Jesus, Thank you for your hospitality, your sort of backwards hospitality of coming into this world and having us host you, but then turning that around and inviting us to be in you, Jesus, to be part of your body, to be part of your community. And we just simply pray that as we interact, as we invite others into our lives, as we have conversations, that you would help us speak truth and love, that we would dare to have the conversations we need to have, and that when we get to the other side, we may also celebrate that you are God and you are good, that you are gracious, and that you gave us the words. All this we pray in your holy name. Amen.